Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Tuesday at 11 or so. And I didn't know if I was going to have uh, a talk, a sponsor, but um, thank God someone stepped forward very nicely to sponsor today's Parsha. So we'll do it. This is uh, being sponsored by Moshe Ginsberg, I believe from Teaneck, is that right? No, from Passaic, I'm sorry. Uh, I've never met. This is Zekel Nishmas, his grandmother, the yard is coming up in 20s of Thomas. The other day we had someone also, the same yard of 20s of Thomas. So this is for the Chusper and the Neshama of Fega Rachel Bas Yuchil David, okay? Uh, and they thank him for it. Uh, I don't know who this Mush Ginsburg is, but then he inter- he identified himself. This is the guy who's the Nictic uh, expert on the Donnie Rose uh, podcast. I told you, I have a student in Israel. I'm close with him. He does a, a Balkari type podcast, which uh, once in a while, if I have time, I listen to. Uh, you got to be into all these fine points of dictuk and so forth. I am, but to tell you the truth, it's been a while since I used to teach this stuff. Now I just remember, I had some question I, was, I sent to Donnie, and I think he couldn't answer it, but then he called this guy Ginsburg, because I remember bringing him on as on his podcast as an expert into all this arcane stuff, which I should know, but it's been a long time after cause over my dictuk from my youth. Uh, my father was big into TikTok, and he rammed it down my throat, and it took for a while. But anyway, thank you, Mush Ginsburg. Now, um, this is, of course, Parsha Bilam, Abola. And to me, uh, this is uh, living as, today we are living in the age of Bilam, because it's awoke. Get it? It's awoke. Uh, everything's a new discourse, and they're shoving all this uh, culture down the this throat, the Juneteenth and all the rest of it, they just invented. And uh, in my mind, it's an example of what the Parsha is talking about, which is the tremendous power of words, of controlling narratives. Uh, how do we understand Bilam? After all, let's put it in simple terms. What do we care what Bilam says? Sticks and stones will break my bones. Names never hurt me. That's not even true, but let's just say. What if Bilam would curse the Jews? Who cares? Who cares? Like I always say, you know, the Mormons want to convert some dead uh, Jew. Well, who cares? You understand? Somebody wants to make voodoo voodoo, hocus pocus. What do you care? But we have a whole portion of the Torah about this. And the king said, Asher tevorich mevorach, basher to'or you are. That when you curse somebody, they stay cursed, and when you bless, they stay blessed. So, what does that mean? Okay? It's a very strange parsha. What does it mean? You do realize, of course, that this parsha, um, is highly unusual because God had to dictate this to Moses, who must be saying, really? Really? I didn't know that. You know the story like I know the story. Um, the Jews are in this valley, and um, the king of Moab is above them, and he's afraid to tangle with them militarily. And so he hires Bilaam, as we all know the story, to curse them. And he stands at different spots 
in the mountains or the hills overlooking the valley where the Jews are. And obviously, as we all know the story very well, you know, Balaam is not allowed to curse the Jews. So if you're Jewish, you don't even know this is happening. And later, not much later, the story of Bilaam has to happen in the last months of um, the life of Moses. Let me, well, hold on for a second. I just opened up a Seder Olam to see in the official rabbinic chronology that they have precisely when the Bilaam story happens. But let's put it this way. Aaron died last Parsha, and that was an of. So Moshe dies, as we all know, in Zion Adar. So it's literally, this story is taking place sometimes, sometime within the last six months of the life of Moses. And uh, before Moshe dies, he writes out the Sefer Torahs and also, you know, final version. As we all know, you know, God tells him write out the, the, the Torah, the whole business, and then give copies to the tribes and a master copy to put in the box in the Arn Kodesh um, with, the, with the tablets. So the story happens not that long before Moshe Rabbeinu writes it down. Uh, and so let's say, for example, it was Tishrei. Uh, I mean, if Aaron died in of uh, El Tishrei, something like that, is the story of Bilam. And uh, and Moshe doesn't know what's happening. He's down in the, in the valley together with the Jews. And pretty soon they're going to be marching north to take out Sichon and Og. That's the story, right? So the Jews are in a, quite a mood. Uh, before that happens, he's going to take a punitive campaign against Midian because the Benos Mof, that's the next week's partial. So I would imagine something around the time of Rosh Hashanah, more or less. So Moshe has five months to live. And let's say four months before he writes up the Torahs and all that kind of stuff. So here's God dictating, you know, whatever he's dictating to Moshe. And then he said like this, but, uh, write the following. And so on and so forth. And Moshe said, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> wow, pretty interesting. This is God was going to curse us. And you stopped him. Uh, now, so that's just an unusual type of parsha. Because usually, when you have something in the Chumash, and God is telling Moshe, write this down, Moshe lived through it. He knew about it. I'll give you an example. Uh, chukas, you know, hitting the rock or whatever it is, you know, or crossing the Red Sea, obviously, or fighting the king of Arag. All the, you know, Moshe lived through it, so he knows it. So he's writing it down in the words that God tells him. But he himself knew it. Here you're dealing with something that, you know, was a conversation taking place between the king of Mo on the one hand and this hired prophet on the other, and the Jews didn't know anything about it. But God says, I want you to know something about it, and therefore I want you to include in the Chumash forever. So instead of being some little incident, Tom and Veltrum, for it gets a big play in our parish, it becomes a central part of the Chumash, an important story in the Chumash. Ad Kedekach, in the Haftorah this week, the prophet Micha says, you remember what I did to you that I stopped up the mouth of Bilaam you take a look at enough Torah. Ami Zachar Mayoitz Bolak Ben something rather, Bolak Ben Sipor and and so forth. So it's just unusual in this particular regard. Now, and the prophecies of Bilam are recorded. All right, that you can get around and say it wasn't Bilam's prophecy; it's Hashem's prophecies because Bilam wanted to say one thing and God put other words in his mouth. All right, that's a different story. So you're getting a prophecy by Bilam. I hear. But the whole part, the whole story is a strange story. So what was his power? Uh, and it must have had a power. 
Because otherwise the story makes no sense. Here's the regular, here's a Maimonidean way of reading it. <laughs> Balak hires this famous cursor named Bilaam. Bilaam issues a whole bunch of curses. It don't mean a damn thing. Because <laughs> he was a jerk. He's a guy. Hashem says, I don't have to go by your curses. You get it? I don't listen to you. There'll be people right now, at this moment, on the internet, cursing Israel ten times worse than what Bill and want to do. Hashem, I hope. Hashem says, I don't care what you say. Right? So why do we have this parsha about Bill? I imagine Pharaoh and the other guys also hired people to give incantations and uh, sorcery and various curses and who knows what. It's the Middle East, 3,000 years ago. We don't talk about the shamans and the other magicians. You know, that Amalek used and the other ones used. What, 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 what's happening about Bilaam? It's because of these questions that the Chazal say that Bilaam was a real prophet. I don't know what that means. I'll tell you what I mean when I say I don't know what that means. If you want to, how do we understand the phenomenon of prophecy of Nebuah? <laughs> You'd think that it's a function of character as, mu as much as anything else. So why would God grant prophecy to a bad person? Bilaam certainly comes across as a bad person, bad character. You know what I'm saying? When you read the story of Bilaam, it sounds like um, a mechanical version of Nebuah. That Nebuah is something anybody can do, provided they do the right things. Uh, now, maybe that's not Nebuah. It doesn't seem that way. There's a very famous passage I've quoted many times that the Ramah says in the word of Bukham. You don't have to listen to that. That's the Ramah's particular opinion. You know, when he lays down these dogmatic things, it often runs up against problems with the with the narratives in the Tanakh. But having said that, the Rambam said there's three opinions on prophecy, the dummies, the Greek philosophers, and the Jews. The dummies say anybody can get it, no matter who they are. The Rambam thinks that's stupid. Then the Greek philosophers say you have to work at it. It's 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 a result of a certain type of education, a rigorous sort of education of one form or another. And uh, if you do it, you'll get it. And the Jews say... It definitely is something you have to work at, but God may or may not grant it to you as he sees fit. And um, there's a lot to talk about, but I don't want to get into that right now. The, 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 the point is that God only gives prophecy to those who God chooses. And one assumes that God gives it, you know, uh, to a person with good character. So why would he give it to Bill? Why would he give it to Bill? Now, you could come back, and I think some say this, say, Hashem would say, see, I gave a Navi. To, I gave Billam and, and look what look what it produced. Knows he was a bad person. Uh, so he knows he wasted. Different it was wasted on you, eh, I don't know. I don't like that. It sounds, but but if you don't go with that, then you you dealt with a basic theological problem, which is why does a guy like Billam zocha to to Rucha Kodesh and higher than Rucha Kodesh to Nevua Mamish, and not only that to a high level Nevua. We all know. Did the Chazal say, Lo kombi Yisrael kamoshod, avo bagayim kam azel bilam? So you're telling me Bilam was like on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, more or less, without getting into that. More or less, let's say he was a degree or two less than Moshe. I'm not, I don't want to get in that argument. That's pretty high. So you're telling me a guy like Bilam had a bigger nevuah than uh, Elio Anavi or uh, Avram Avino, or, you know? And it don't make no sense. And yet, that's, that's the point of the story today. Uh... Or is it? It's unclear. This parsha very unclear because it tries to deal in prosaic fashion with mystical measures, and we don't know what's going on. But for some reason or another, Bilam Asher Tavarich Mevorach Asher Tar Yuar. Somehow or other, the guy can can give blessings and curses. Ad Kedekach. 
that it requires divine intervention to, to prevent the negative consequences of his curses. Ad kedekach, that God literally puts a restraining in his mouth and does not permit Bilam even to say the words he wanted to say. Why can't Hashem say this? I'm supreme, I'm God, say whatever you want, and I'll be mavatalit. Maybe that would even be a bigger miracle. Wait, I don't know. But it's not like that. Hashem prevents him from saying it. You get it? I'll repeat. It's not that he's that Bilam issued a string of curses, and then Hashem would say like this, I'm hearing my mavatal everything. Uh, after all, Hashem is Meshadid Hamarachas. They say when he left Egypt, you know, the the constellations and the astrology was in the wrong, was anti-Israel. And Hashem said it'll happen anyway. You know, Israel is, is higher than Mazel and all that kind of rhetoric. If Israel is higher than Mazel, then it should be higher than Bilib. And yet, it doesn't seem that way. Hashem has to say to Bilib, I'm not going to let you say what you want to say. I'm going to force you to say what I want you to say. Uh, it's strange. And the result, of course, is the prophecies of Bilam, which therefore we give some, you know, attention to. It's in the Chumash. Uh, but I want to... Let me put it this way. I feel most comfortable with the following approach, which perhaps is, is cause of current events. Bill is the master of, of spin master, controlling the narrative. And if he's going to put out um, his version of who the Jews are, it'll have fatal consequences. Uh, even though you can never get around the fact that God could be Mavadlet, but uh, fatal consequences. Um, we just had a war in um, Gaza the other day, a couple weeks ago, and everybody knows Israel's the PR stinks. I'm sorry to say, but right now, the Palestinians and all that, Imam is controlling the narrative. And what is moving me to talk about this is the fact, probably don't know this, but uh, last week I guess or two weeks ago. There was a public letter signed by 100 or so uh, Jewish studies professors. Now, I'm not talking about people who are professors who happen to be Jewish. That's a problem of its own. I'm talking about people who are professors of Jewish studies. You know, Jewish history, Jewish philosophy, Jewish this, Jewish that, uh, in North America, and maybe else, and in Israel. And it's uh, they're coming out with one of these woke uh, declarations, which basically means Israel is a colonial state, has no right to exist, now when we're going to press the Palestinian narrative, it hasn't been treated with enough centrality. That's the Iker part of the story. The Jewish part is a tuffle. In other words, they're, they're mamish uh, making on their own on their own uh, uh, um, people. Uh, it's unbelievable, the language. Uh, and it's signed by people, I'll tell you again, it's like 100 professors. I know one or two, I'm sorry to say. One person I actually liked. I don't know why this person did it, but whatever. Uh, and it's terrible. Because what it means is that so powerful is the wave of the narrative, of the woke narrative, in which Israel comes out being the oppressor and the bad person, even though they shot 10,000 rockets, whatever it is, from Gaza here, and they started it. But whatever you do is Israel's fault. Whatever you do. And these are the, quote-unquote, the self-appointed, self-described Jewish leaders. They're the intellectuals in the non-from world. After all, my reform conservative, they don't know who's the one to know, the professors. And they're basically saying Israel should go out of existence. 
So in other words, as long as I'm okay and I'm a professor in some Midwestern university and my life is not disturbed and I can go have a quiet life, the whole Jewish people can drop dead tomorrow. Certainly the state of Israel. Uh, now what's the shot in that? It's Bilaam. This week's Parsha is all about the power of words and power control narratives. And Bilaam had that power. And it turns out that words are unbelievably powerful. And they can make or break a situation. And this is Israel's biggest challenge today. Because it's losing its base of support in the United States. You notice and I know this. For a whole bunch of reasons. And uh, that means that the Bilaam narrative is the one that's getting out there. And Mamash Asher Tavarek Yivarek Asher Tavar Yuar. So now they bless the Hamas, not the Palestinians, the Hamas, and they're cursing to Israel. Okay? Uh, and this is like a... L- let me put it this way. The Parsha tells you that if not for divine intervention, Bilaam would have won. That's how I always read the Parsha. I think people don't get it, in my opinion. Korach won, if not for divine intervention. And Bilaam won, if not for divine intervention. Absent anything else, he would have been able to pay his own deborium out there, and it would have had a, an effect. Now, how would it have an effect? I'm thinking just logically now, not mystically. How would it have an effect? Bilaam's standing at the top of the mountain, and he's giving curses. Who cares? As best as I can tell, which is all I can ever do, I think the biggest problem is Mamish what we saw with the 100 Jewish professors. If Bilaam would have been allowed to say what he wanted to say, he would have painted Israel in such colors that their mom, it's like today, you guys are coming, mamish coming to invade an area that doesn't belong to you. You're taking over countries and wiping them out. You're acting barbarically. And you shouldn't be doing this. It's not your land. Now, it's Moab, it's Ahmad, it's Sichon, it's Og, it's the Canaanim. It's not you. It's not you. Remember, this is before the Chumash was written. We had Breshis, Baral Kim, and the first Rashi and Breshis. And Bispiel Yisrael Shinukabrashis. None of that existed. So they're all saying, Yeah, you're interlopers, you have no right to be here. And the thing is, Bilam was such a good talker, the Jews themselves would buy into it. That's what I think. And then Moshe will be helpless. Get it? The worst thing that can happen at this stage of the journey is 40 years after he left Egypt, and the older generation has died out, because this is, as I say before, it's after the death of Aaron which therefore means is after the last Hamisha Sabah. And the, after the last two Ba'av, the whole Dor Midbar died out. That's what they say. They stopped dying. It, it was finished on two Ba'av. So this is now the new generation. The new generation, Moshe Rabbeinu hopes, is going to be ready to take on the job of concrete Canaan. The Rambam says very famously, the journey of 40 years will hopefully toughen them out. Not if you buy into the Bilam narrative. If you guys are bad guys and you're taking over land that's not yours, you have no right to it, etc., etc. The Jews themselves will say, you know, we don't feel comfortable with this. We'd rather go back to being slaves in Egypt and not, God forbid, stepping on anybody's toes. We want to be politically correct because the slaves in Egypt, nobody any time is on us. You tell me that I'm talking crazy. No, I'm not talking crazy. Take, for example, these pro-BDS guys and of all the various, all these people. What do they want? They want Israel to go out of business. So what should happen to the 6 million Jews in Israel? They should go elsewhere. Where should they go? They go to other countries, America, South America, where if the, whoever will take them in, and there should be they should be a minority, right? So and and if to be a minority, by the way, millions of Jews move to other countries, they don't have big anti-Semitism over there. Doesn't matter. Better to be a victim, right? Better to be a victim than to be 
a an, an aggressor. I repeat, better be a victim and get killed than to be a prophet than be be a a uh, aggressor. Nobody else in the world holds by that standard. Okay, nobody else does that. Everybody else says like this: Chayecha uh, Kodman, whatever I need to do to save my life, I'm going to save my life. And I'll say it again: I'm going to do whatever I need to do to save my life, because otherwise I get killed. I get killed. That's the worst of all scenarios. No, it's not. The worst of all scenarios is that you should violate the woke. This is mamish the power bilam. You can make something look good, you can make something look bad. And being hired by Bullock, he would make the Jews look bad and then would hit on the Jews themselves. And then Moshe would be, be helpless because they would say, Moshe, you're leading an aggressor campaign in a place you have no right to be. Okay? And we know, you think I'm making this up, we know that uh, King Saul, before he fought Amalek, thought that way. Okay? Other people are, are, are mentioned in Tanakh and Chazal as having these kind of uh, uh, thoughts. Uh, this is the reason, it's just very interesting, that God now is telling him, write this book called the Chumash. By the way, this is taking place, according to Pashib Shah, um, well, there's no Pashib Shah, Megill, Megill, Nitnis or not, but let's go with the Shah, that not long after this, Hashem tells Moshe to write out the Torah and make make copies. Like the final uh, Old Testament. Write out the Torah and make copies. So Hashem is telling Moshe, write out the following, with the Torah Shabbat Shabbat the Torah Shabbat Peh. I repeat, with the Torah Shabbat Shabbat the Torah Shabbat Peh. And, um, and before you die, which is in a few months, I'm, I said they're wrong. This is taking place a few months after the Bilaam story. And what's the first thing that's mentioned in the Chumash? Bracious Baruch Kim is my words. Well, you need that for theology. What's the first Chazal that's on that? which means like the first Rashi that you were entitled to Eretz Yisrael. So I paid the first beginning of Bracious, which is written very shortly after, chronologically after the Bilam incident, is you are entitled to, to Israel. Because Hashem said, I make the whole world and I decide who gets what. Why does that have to be the first line? You know, they say it's Rashi's father, whatever. There are a million Chazals like that also. Like that's the meaning of Israel Yisrael It's also. Why do you have to tell me this quote unquote Zionist vart at the very beginning of the Chumash, shortly after the story of Bilam? Okay? There's a timeless aspect to the Torah, there's a timely aspect to the Torah. To me it stands out blatantly that if Bilam would have started this kind of rhetoric, the Jews would have fallen for it. They fell for every other kind of stupid argument in the desert, and that's what drove Moshe crazy. We know it many times all during the forty years they wanted to go back. You know, you know that I know that. I think there's even a story after Aaron died that they want to go back and he had to remember that Chazal. And Rashi brings it down, and then six tribes had to fight against the seventh tribes or something like that. And so those even the fortieth year, there's a movement to go back to movement to go back to 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 Canaan. So usually, we associate that with the fear of conquering Canaan, uh, uh, which may be true, but it's also clearly the fear that. Uh, the Jews don't have the confidence in their own right to Israel. And I think that's one of the reasons why not long after this story happens, Moshe will start the Book of Devarim. Because here are Bullock, then Pinchas Matas Masse, as we all know. Uh, very shortly after this incident, chronologically speaking, because the whole thing is a few months after before the death of Moshe, Moshe is going to give his speech, right? Ela Advarm. And one of the things he emphasized in the speech is that all these people have recently taken over from others, meaning they themselves are aggressors. Kaftarim, Ayotzim, Kaftar, Hishmi Doom, 
you know, the people in the Philistine area aren't the original Philistines, and the Canaanites, Barrett, the Canaanites were taken over from others, and so on and so forth. So it's always like that. Everybody else has a healthy sense of self-interest. I'm living here. I don't want anybody to take away from me. Uh, how did I get here? I don't know. I got here. I don't care. I, but you can't come. Right? You can't come. And the Jews are the ones that are saying, well, maybe we can't come. Wandering 40 years in the desert. You have the mon. You have the air. You're surrounded by clouds. You're following, uh, you know, the the, the pillar. Uh, you know, the presence of Hashem is all there. He's leading you in a certain direction. He's leading you to the land of Canaan. Well, maybe I don't have a right to it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Jewish Mishagas. Right? Again, the cloud is leading you in this direction. That's a, maybe, maybe no right to it. And if Bilaam would have put it out there in his words, he was that good, then the Jews would have heard about it, and they themselves would rebel and go back. That's what I think. And Bilaam, as we all know, was able to do this eventually by the end of the Parsha with the daughters of Moab, with the Benos Moab. Those instead of using the kind of rhetoric, which is the rhetoric of, uh, of delegitimation, I use modern terminology of the Jewish national aspirations. He just did it in a different way, which is to promote shiksas, you know, to promote um, uh, so called disappearance through intermarriage. Let, let, let's put it that way. Okay? Because, let's say a plague hadn't happened. What would have happened? They all would have married the daughters of Moab. Think about the consequence of this. It wouldn't have been just a whole bunch of one-night stands. They would end up marrying these Moabite girls. They'd become part of the household. The Moabite girls would tell them, you know, stay here. Or even if they go into Israel, you think you have your Mechatonim uh, back in Moab. And, it's, and you know, the Jews would disappear as a Jewish group. Get it? They would disappear as a Jewish group. They'd be, what's the right word, absorbed into the Moabite culture. Uh, that's what it wouldn't have happened. Uh, wouldn't be like Ruth and, and Machli and Killian. Although that is what happened with Machli and Killian. That's the meaning of Machli and Killian. They married Moabite girls. They became Moabites. What is the meaning of Machlon from uh, the word Machlo? What's the word of Kilion? You know what Kilion means. They married Moabite girls. They became Moabites. This is what's happening in America and around the world. Even though the Reformed, the Conservative, and the others are always saying, oh, intermarriage is actually good because it means you're adding extra people to the Jews. But these are all big lies. They're just, since they can't do nothing about the problem, they declare it not a problem. That's a certain way of dealing with something. You know, person has an illness, I'm declaring I don't have the illness. Uh, okay. You know, you know the consequences of that. Uh, so Billum was able to use non-physical violence to destroy an enemy. He certainly did a good job with the Jews, okay? Because the Benos Moab was a short business and took out 24,000 just like that. Just like that, okay? Uh, Isn't that what it says in the end of the Parsha? So just from the Magefa with 24,000, not bad for a guy that didn't actually wield a sword. You see the unbelievable power of the of the of controlling the narrative, and that's not much the culture we're living in now, because every t- you know they're inventing new terms all the time, and we go along with it. They you know and it becomes the politically correct thing, and it's also to go against it, and so you know you have this privilege and this thing and this lies matter and then then the June fifteenth, and and so on and so forth, and you know people say okay because everybody just wants a little bit quiet life, nobody wants to get fired. And so you just go along with it. That's the Kaycha Bilam. And therefore the Chazal say, Boleom, Bilam. That's one way of swallowing a people. That's one way of destroying a people. Again, the word is, is funny. Boleom. Boleom means you swallow. Swallow means you absorb. Absorb means you don't kill with violence. That's a Hitler way. That's one way. Right? That's a Moloch. Kill with violence. The other way is a different way. 
perhaps more effective. Uh, you kill them with, with, with nonviolence, with other ways. Now, I'm going to ask you the, the following honest question. What's happening to American Jewry and Jews around the world, Bichlal? It's not a mullet, but is it Bolea Am? It sure is. Is 80% intermarriage in America, as we all know. Is that true or not true? <laughs> that true or not true? And despite all the uh, left-wing propaganda, the kids and grandchildren are becoming not Jewish. As they gate us. They're disappearing. This is Bolea Am. So America is a wonderful country, and I mean it. It's not a bad country so far. I don't know about the future. It's a wonderful country uh, if you know how to use it properly. I don't mean that in a cynical way. I'm I'm, I'm being, you know, very uh, judaically up front. But you have to watch out because it's also Bolayam. Bolayam. It's a Bolayam. Same thing with England. Same thing with these other places as well. Certainly the, the European Anglo-Saxon countries. That's where the Jews have moved to. Jews now, in our time, 21st century, are not in the third world. The Jews are in the first world. First world is the, um, besides Israel, is the other country. One of the big arguments for Israel is that there's all Jewish. Although, you know, that's going to change also you know, with the new governments and the new, you have the woke element in, in, in Israeli culture as well, if they ever get that kind of uh, power. So it's a, so Bilaam, therefore, is a model. Bilaam is an archetype, as I see it. Which is why it's in the Torah. We read it every year. Otherwise, why read my Dabahabit? What's the significance of Bilaam? Bilaam is the significance. And I repeat what I said before. When you see that it took an act of divine intervention to stop Bill from saying what he wanted to say, it means that if he's given permission to say what he wants to say, the Jews are doomed. So in America, for example, they buy into all this stuff. So you go tell somebody, he says, you know, you shouldn't marry, you shouldn't intermarry. They look like you're crazy. They look like you're crazy. So notice they don't have to, but this is what they choose to do. They want to marry, right? And to even suggest that is already like a, a violating the first rules of racism or something like that. I mean it. If you know how the world is out there, that's what it is. I know kids in college and elsewhere. Um, they couldn't say I'm dating a Jewish girl or I'm dating a Jewish guy. You say, they have to say it like this. I happen to meet this person. So happens we're both Jewish. So we like each other. It wasn't that I was looking only to marry in-group. Because that's so PC incorrect that, you know, uh, <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be violating one of the rules. They have to make it look like it was an accident. I met this guy. I met this girl. We haven't liked each other. That's why we're dating. Maybe we'll get married. The fact that we're both Jewish is just a coincidence. That's why I have to put it out there. That's how powerful the billum is. The power of the billum. At least that's how I see it. Okay? That's how I see it. And what's interesting is the Bilaam is the original source for the apocalyptic messianism. Uh, if you talk about the concept of Mashiach, messianism, uh, at, in Jewish tradition, it's well known that in the Chumash there's no such mention of Mashiach. Unless, what? Unless you go to the prophecies of Bilaam. Look at the Rambam, Hilchus Mashiach, you know, over there at the end of Hilchus Melochim, at the end of the Mishnah Torah, you know that. He talks about, you know, Darach Kochum Yaakov, Machas Pasimov, and so forth. He sees it as a reference to Mashiach. You don't have to read it that way. There's no question about it. But in the Jewish tradition, this is how it's read for many, many, many centuries now. And consequently, they see this guy Bilaam as, as talking about a future, a messianic future, and it's the future of wars. Okay? 
It's a feature of violence. It's a feature in which to be World War Three of one sort or another. Okay? And he says, you know, El Motsi Mitzrayim, Shachav Karich, Lavi Mi Kimenim, Varechach, Baruch, Varechach, Aror. And Israel crouches like a lion. And, uh, you know, those who bless you are blessed, those who curse you are cursed. Bill's talking about the Jewish people as a lion, meaning they have to fight their way to get to the Messianic era. And, of course, he talks about the fact, where is it? Let me, I'm opening it up. This is going to happen in the near future, in, in the far future, not nearby. Right? A star will go forth from Yaakov, and a stick will arise in Israel and crush all the princes of Moab and dominate the, the, the uh, Bekarga called Bnei Shays, and dominate and destroy the Bnei Shays, right? The, the Shittites. By Edom Eresha, and Edom will be demolished. By Edom Eresha, Seirah And Seirah will be destroyed. By Israel, Osechoyah. And the Jews will be triumphant. Uh, and, uh, and out of Yaakov will come a, a, a Yerad, a, a absolute ruler, a dictator. The heavy Sarid Meir, who will obliterate the last survivors of the city. Right? That is a, what we call a pretty uh, apocalyptic view of the Messianic era. Why doesn't Bill say like this? Little by little, mankind will become enlightened and just on their own. And the lion will lie down with the lamb. You know, regards even Keves and all this kind of stuff. Why don't you give a liberal, woke kind of messianism? No, that's not Bill. And not Bill. He said it'll be a war. See, it'll be a war. And it'll be no survivors. Uh, I'm, I just read what it says in the Parsha. The heavy Surrey Meir. Right? It'll be um, pretty uh, pretty bitter. You see that uh, Bilaam does not see uh, the integration of the Jewish people as a group into mankind. Uh, either the Jews will conquer mankind or as he would wish it to be you know, absorbed, um, absorbed into mankind. But that Israel should be just like another group, won't last. And that's why he says, uh, you know, uh, that the Jews are condemned to a life of loneliness. What's the uh, expression? I don't remember. It's all over the posture here, you know, uh, that they have no friends. What's the uh, words over here? You know what I mean, right? People That's that's how Bill says it. The Jews ain't normal. Uh, now, it's funny. These words, you know, represent what God put into his mouth, but obviously filtered through his mouth. So it's a strange business. Uh, but Bill doesn't see the Jews as just, like I said before, being another uh, group, another race. Uh, it's a little disturbing, but that's, that's what we get in the partial year. And this is what we read every year. So you see that um, we are living now, I think, in a bullock billing period. And uh, it certainly is Bolea'am. And certainly lots of Jews are going along with this baloney. Uh, and if we read this Parsha, as we're supposed to read every year, it means we should always keep this in mind, like pinch yourself once a year and teach your kids to pinch yourself. But it's easier said than done. You know, I'm not just trying to be, you know, nicey-nicey. I'm simply pointing out that the verbal is an extremely important and powerful tool. Uh, the state of Israel today is lousy in the verbal as far as I can see. I think you agree with me. 
Uh, they don't have uh, what they call Abba Iban. You know, they don't have somebody who can put the Jewish spin on it. But it's necessary to do so. Or maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe the inability of Moshe to respond, because it doesn't say, you know, here's another way the story could have gone. I don't want to make this too long. I'll just spend another minute. Why did the story go like this? Bilaam pronounced a bunch of curses, and then Moses is given a chance to respond. And he refutes the claims of Bilaam very eloquently. That'd be like a Greek kind of uh, uh, story. But it's not like that. Sounds like you can't say nothing back to Bilaam. It takes divine intervention. So uh, today also we don't have anybody I see that can, can talk back very well. But, um, you know, uh, what shall I say? Uh, you're relying on divine intervention. But that's a very scary kind of notion. Anyway, with that happy thought, I want to thank again uh, uh, Ginsburg and uh, hope everybody has a good Shabbos and a good week. I still don't have a sponsor for the Haftarah. But maybe somebody will step forward and we'll be able to do that as well. Have a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.